DEI test with Eric and Brady. We've got uh, another fabulous guest today. Uh, we're going to talk about sports from a little bit different perspective with me as a photographer, Brady as a writer. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. All right. Well, this is Eric. I'm Eric. This is Brady here with me. We're uh, kind of kicking off the, I don't know if you want to call it the next season of the eye test, but uh, we're adding some video into this el- to the element of everything right now. And uh, so we're going to go from there. Today we want to talk about, uh, we're going to get a little bit in the weeds with what we do for a living and how we do it. I want to, I did a post a couple weeks ago where I, I went off on a little bit of a rant about craftsmanship because I think it's it's uber important and something that I think in uh, what I, how do I want to say this without be, sounding like the old get off my lawn guy, but really I think it's something that's lacking um, with some of the younger journalists that are coming in into the business right now, um, especially from my perspective. You know, I talk about it from my perspective as a photographer, um, really big on craftsmanship understanding your tools, how to use them, how to maximize them, um, how to do everything to to realize the vision you have in your head and doing things with intention. I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really huge about doing things with intention, um, doing thing, approaching your job with, as, with a purpose and, a, and an intended goal and having the skill set to be able to get there um, the, the, the phrase that I, that I, that I came up with when I was doing my, that, that started my rant a couple weeks ago about this was I said, lack of craftsmanship is not a creative choice, yeah. right? So often I see, uh, photographers, especially newer photographers. I won't just say younger photographers because some people come to it later in life, but newer photographers, where where they make a mistake or they didn't exactly know what they were doing, but they screwed up and made a really nice image. Yeah. And while that happens, and that still happens to me at this point in my career, I call them happy accidents. But there, that's you, you can't happy accident your way to success in not just photography or writing or really anything. You have to you have to be able to develop your craft to you to the point where you can have repeatable success and do 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 the things that you have in your head like from my perspective as a photographer I have a vision or a photo that I want to do I need to be able to have the technical expertise to know how to execute that vision and make it happen while allowing for a little serendipity along the way you know happy surprises that come up and being able to recognize that happy surprise when it, when it when it when it comes your way and going wow that's really good let's do more of that which yeah. which happens a certain amount and i know when when you and i were talking about this about doing this episode that i thought it would be good because it it very much applies to to what you do as well right yeah. where i'm using cameras and lenses and shutter speeds and things like that you're using words and sentences and paragraphs and quotes and you know you can't just you, you really you just you have to have that craftsmanship 
Yeah, yeah, and it, it doesn't matter if you've got a laptop, Matt, you know, if you're hand- typewriting it out, whatever it is. I mean, the the trade still it, it still holds true. I mean, right. regardless of whatever tool or latest um, technology that you've got at oh, your disposal. God, can you imagine trying to do your job with a typewriter? I've I've done it before. Really? Yeah, it's um it's been difficult, but even you know swapping stories with some of the old journalists um, who I worked with at the Journal Star, who they talked about back in the seventies. You know, where like after a football game on a Friday night. They'd go into the you know the local bar and type up their story and they'd call it in, and they'd call it into the you know the sports desk and right. then, but that of course that was back when you know your print deadline was probably two a.m. and you could afford to do that. Where now, even though all the technology makes things streamlined because of outsourcing and and cutting back staff and and right. out and doing all that, now their print deadlines are six p.m. and Shoot, you've got a if you've got a Husker game that kicks off at seven PM, sometimes you don't even get the full gamer in the paper the next morning anymore. Right. And well, you know, I I'm old enough, I've been doing this long enough that I started off with film. So I I know what it was like to work at a small newspaper and, you know, have to cover three football games yeah. in one night that all kicked off at seven. Yeah. And had to drive like 10, 15 minutes between little towns, right? So it was like, go to this game, boom, 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 two, three rolls of film real quick, jump in the car, get to the next one. And what? And the way I, I usually attacked this task when it happened once or twice a year was I started at the school farthest away. And work your way back and in. And then I worked my way back, and the last, it was at the Columbus Telegram, and so my last game was right there, yeah. right? And yeah. boom, and then it was... Like I, one time I remember I literally showed up to Columbus High School and there was three minutes left on the clock. <laughs> Run out there on the field, shot like, you know, like one drive, or part of one drive, and you get the celebration shots. And I and whatever we whatever it came up with and and you know hustle back because our you know our deadline was like. 11, 11.30, something like that. So I had to hustle back, throw the film. You know, I had all my chemistry warmed up, ready to go. So as soon as I walked into the dead room, the dark room, it was, you know, and and what you do is you go through and you mark like the canister and you go, I think this one's got the picture. Because you know you're going to, I could only do like eight of them at a time. Right. Right. So, okay, I need these eight. Boom, doom. Printing, wet negatives. Didn't even, can't even wait for them to dry. Yeah. Right. Or you were standing there with a blow dryer, just drying one frame. Boom. Tray print, handing wet prints to the copy desk. Right. Here you go. Well, and even that, like, and this might, it's a big thing for me in terms of craftsmanship. And it was probably is for you as well, that to have your dark room ready and everything, you, you never know exactly what's going to happen when it comes time to like, you know, shoot a game or, or write about a game. Preparation means a whole lot. I mean, you have an idea, you have your framework in mind, you and you build that framework of a of a home basically, and then you kind of work, build it out. But without that framework and without that sort of, I don't even want to call it a safety net, but without that preparation done beforehand, yeah, to allow your what makes that one game or it that can allow you event. to be a little bit faster as a professional on the backside. Right. right. If you've done if you've done your prep work, same thing goes for me. We have our caption loads ready, 
and every picture gets loaded with a pre-caption and naming things and all that. That happens automatically in there. But um, having that, it, it's really kind of con- a conundrum sometimes because as a photographer, what we do is is a very reactionary event, right? We don't know what's going to happen. I don't get to control where it happens, right? I might, I don't get to control how it happens, where it happens, when it happens, where the light is. So it's, it, it can be an overwhelmingly reactionary event sometimes, which makes it very difficult to have vision and, and execute things with intention, like purposefully choosing because you don't know. Is the play going to go left? Is it going to go right? Running play, pass play, we don't know. But it's, re- it's almost more important to, to have that intention so that if if things do go your way and you have a little forethought and go, if I sit here and the play goes here, it's going to be fabulous. Yeah. If the play goes here, it's going to be just another football play, right? Like um, I was telling somebody the other day about they were complaining about how afternoon games in Memorial Stadium later in the year, that shadow, like, comes across half of the field and how much they hate it. And I was saying, I was telling them, no, I actually love it. And they they had this surprised look on their face. And I told them, I said, listen, if you shoot from a certain corner, the one that, I, that I've grown to love for this exact reason over the years of shooting there, because as that shadow comes, creeps across the stands mm-hmm. on the west side, right? If they run that way, you get a black background. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like there's you can't even see the fans. You can, It's just like this guy with full sun on him and the background is black. Yeah. Right? And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Right? And then once sometimes when they cross into that shadow, then it, then it, it creates a problem, an exposure problem. Right. Right? Because now we just went from, you know, four thousandth of a second to a thousandth of a second and how do, and how do you handle all of that but that's where that craftsmanship comes in right you understand your tools and how they work and how all those numbers stack together uh, you hear a lot of people talk about in the in photography craftsmanship everybody still leans on the exposure triangle you ever you've heard people talk about that right and i was thinking about this the other day and I've thought about it a lot lately how that exposure triangle has become kind of less important because the cameras are so good by themselves. Yeah. You could literally, like, I could almost literally hand you my camera gear and just put everything on auto. And all the pictures are going to be exposed well. I will say that much. <laughs> <laughs> and because they're that good. So it's it's almost like that part of it is less important but it, then it allows us to focus more on like uh, the thing that the, the triangle that's more important to me, which is, which is composition moment and light, all the, the creative things. Yeah. Right. And, and I was thinking the other day to get back to the exposure triangle part about how things, it's almost like the, the and, and how I shoot and I make my choices in that triangle. It used to be in the film days, 
the invariable one was your films or the less variable one was your ISO because you loaded a whole roll of film in there. You at least had 36 frames before you were going to get to change your numbers again. Right? So you started with what is my ISO? What shutter speed can I get out of this? Right? Or, or more because things were more limited. You started with what was my ISO? My, the max aperture on my lens is 2.8. How much shutter speed can I eke out of this? Right. And now things have gotten so good that it's almost turned on its head. My first decision is what shutter speed I want. My second decision is usually because my second decision is usually ISO on the camera because I hardly ever take any of my lenses off of wide open. Very, very rarely. Like if I'm shooting a portrait. I might stop it down to five, six or something if I want more depth of field for a reason. Even then, I rarely, rarely do it. <laughs> so that's like my last consideration. And in fact, I was telling a guy a story. This is a little sidetrack, but someone was talking about needing a, a lens repair mm-hmm. because their 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 apertures weren't working and it was an older lens and it needed some repair. And I was telling them a story about how in the, I think it was in the early 2000s, somewhere, somewhere in there, I had a, I had a Nikon 300-2.8 at the time where uh, one of my aperture blades was busted. It got sticky and it would just stop working. Okay. So I took it to my local camera guy and I said, listen, just disconnect it and have it be wide open all the time. And he looked at me just like that. He looked at me just like that, like, really? You don't want to be able to stop this thing down at all? I said, no, why would I? Why would I not? I mean, why would I? When am I ever going to need to stop this thing down? It's a sports lens. That's, yeah, that's a good point, I guess. Right? Yeah. I, I, I want to shoot it wide open all the time. I shoot my lenses wide open in bright daylight. And if I got to crank my shutter speed up to an eight thousandth of a second, fine. Yeah, I mean, because everything is so fluid. It's just so fast that you really, I mean, that that brightness, you, you I don't know, like especially as college athletes by and large that we cover mostly, I mean, you do shoot some high school stuff, but like they're, the, the action and everything is just so fast. It's just, you need that. Well, uh, you, it's not just the only, it's not just the, the only reason we shoot, we shoot wide open all the time. Most sports photographers, 99% of them shoot wide open all the time because you want to be able to blur that background. Oh, much yeah, like it's much that. like it's, it's very similar to what a portrait photographer does. Remember when Zabani was on and we were talking about that same thing. Yeah. Um, Cause him and I have talked about it. Like it's the exact same approach as a portrait photographer does. Okay. Right. You want to blur that background. So it's nice and creamy and, we try to do the same thing as sports photographers and that's, and that's let's circle, circle it back here. That's, that's where that craftsmanship comes in, right? You're doing things for a reason, right? It may, it may cut down on the number of usable pictures you have by making some of these choices because it's not a safe choice, but I didn't come over to Hale Varsity magazine to make safe choices in photography. That's fair. Right. Yeah. I I specifically came over here to start to try and push the envelope and do things. 
which is really hard to do at this point. And I bet you, you run into the exact same problem I have at this point in the history of sports photography. This is insanely difficult to come up with something new. Yeah. It's insanely difficult. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you write a new story? Okay, you've been doing Matt Rule for for a couple months now. How do you do a new story on Matt Rule? Well, uh, there's uh, a, there's always something interesting and new because the one I will say the one Matt Rule story that I'm most proud of or that I'm most fond of all the energy I put into was one of the first ones. It was one of the magazine ones where it basically chronicles his upbringing, it's like gives a shade into the background of the person. I, there was very few, I think there might have been one quote, or very little about Matt talking about himself or anything. Uh, I talked of, uh, to some of his old high school coaches, his old high school football coaches. I got in contact with some people who uh, had wrote about his dad before, and his, his dad is a big influence on, Matt, on, on him. So you kind of get a, a grander idea there. Um, to the point of like the the moves and what made him and what are some key moments that made him who he is. And I think that that's, it, it takes a little bit of innovation or at least thinking of things a little bit different, especially in the sense of like Nebraska football when everything is, I don't want to call it oversaturated, but when you've got, it's, oversaturated. it's you've got a dozen <laughs> different media outlets covering it. And, and especially for us, we're in this such unique, and one thing I love about being a part of Hale Vars is we do think unique. We think different. Part of that is out of necessity almost, you know? Like, they're, mm-hmm. you're, Nebraska's two legacy biggest newspapers are now collaborating on Husker Sports. And barely keeping the lights turned and, on. And barely keeping But at any point, you go to anything, and they've got six, seven people there. Whereas I've, it's been only me going to the exact same events with them before. Right. So it's like I obviously, by outturn and all of this, I can't can't keep up with as much copy as they're putting out. So you got to think different. You got to think what's going to to cut to the heart of this. What's going to be the best story, or what's going to be the one that people are going to care most about, or what are some aspects of it that you can kind of right. tie in. So you have the exact same problem I have that we talk about every month on our photo call when we're choosing photos is how, because of our print schedule, by the time we see, you know, ink on thing, ink on paper and it gets mailed into somebody's mailbox. It does us no good to show them a picture they've seen 12 times over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In the last month the last few weeks and 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 i'm really really big on that and that's where that intention comes back about what are we doing why are we doing it you know because i see no point in showing them a picture that everybody else has gotten and shown you for three weeks already yeah right and you have the same problem on the word side right well you're not going to write the same story and throw out the same information that everybody's been doing for three weeks already and it won't even like approach like like now that spring ball is going on or during the spring season you get things a little bit more constant there's more news there's more outchurn you you i approach it personally as like a, here's a daily story or here's something whereas if it's a magazine piece or a bigger grander feature story i'm going to approach that thing in an entirely different way no i i get it same thing i mean we go through the same you know if we're just turning out photos from a basketball game 
for get for a gallery. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. We'll put that in. We'll put that in. We'll put that. But when it comes to like choosing the four that are going to be double trucks in the magazine, that's when I get a little stingy about what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Right. Yeah. 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 But and the and the 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 word that has stuck in my mind for a long time, which kind of becomes my benchmark, is trying to trying to do something timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You want it. You to, you don't want it to be so dated that it's only worth. If if you're doing dated photos, I mean they're great today, and they might be okay tomorrow, but by next week nobody's going to care about that. Yeah, right. And yeah. you got the same. You got this. You got the exact same thing, maybe even more so in some respects, with what you're doing, because you got to. You want it to be timeless. You want someone to be able to pick that up ten years from now and have it be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because there are. It obviously it's different with photo and words, but there are like stories that I, I'll even think about some story I read five ten years ago and think like I need to reread that story. Like maybe the issues or the focal points aren't even aren't even applicable anymore, but that left you thinking. It left you feeling one thing. It left you having a personable approach about different people, but the story itself is a grander, you know, societal story or team story or something that is bigger than itself that you could personify into a personable story about people that you think, okay, I need to apply this much like with what you do is like a good photo, a good, I mean, a good crisp photo is one that people are going to hang up, but it's also like one that is a little bit more than just a really cool photo. Right. Like you can really dive into that more. It mean it, it means something. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it means something more, for me, like a timeless, what I consider a timeless photo is something that has meaning be, like I was saying, beyond today. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it, it has something, whether it's, whether it's actual information or if it's a feeling or just, you know, it could, it could be as simple as a stadium shot from the last row of the stadium, or it could be Garrett Nelson walking off the field, like we've talked about, or, or, you know. Scott Frost, you know, with his hand on his face because he just realized that whoopsie daisy, we lost this game and now I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. Well, on that one, I've, we'll go there real quick. After that game and as that unfolded, did you have that feeling in your stomach when you went to the photo? I knew when I shot that photo. Yeah. I knew when I, when I, I was watching him, I knew when I made that photo. The look on his face, his body language, the way he reacted, that was the moment that 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 he knew that it was over. Yeah. I can't lose this game and keep my job. And that was the moment where he realized we're not winning this game. Because I stalked him. I stalked him from the beginning of the season yeah. on the sidelines. I mean, I, I did that with intention looking for the photo and the way it turned out was exactly the intention I had for it. Right. I stalked him looking for the image that was going to be the cover when he lost his job. Cause we all knew it was going to happen. Yeah. After the trip to Ireland, we all knew he was going to lose his job. Yeah. So I, 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 I stalked him every, every time he was on that end of the sidelines. And I, every time something would happen, I, pan back over to the yeah. sidelines how's he reacting what's he reacting 
And that was the moment. Yeah. I knew it when I saw it. I was like, that's, that's our cover. I think when he loses his job. Cause we were, we were down on the sidelines at that point, all the press had been gone down so that we could quickly get in. For those who don't know, we were down on the sidelines that way. Once the game is over, we could run to the media room or the weight room at that point where they were doing media. Right. And then they have their post game press availability there. So we weren't up in the press box at the time down in the corner end zone, Northwest corner of the end zone, watch it unfold and realize, okay, Georgia Southern just scored. I don't think Nebraska's got enough time and they didn't. And and as that game unfolded, it's just kind of like that's one that you know, that's the one, right? Like there's it's one thing to lose to Northwestern in, in Ireland and what Northwestern became, but even that was in Ireland. That was the season opener. Maybe right. Northwestern was good. At of course at that time. At we the do. time at we the thought time, maybe they're better maybe. than we think. But they weren't. Whereas you get Georgia Southern with fresh coach Clay Helton, like a team that had, had been a triple option team who just realized the forward pass three weeks prior <laughs> should not be able to throw for 600 yards. True that. And I just, again, coming out of that press conference and like walking back with like the rest of the group, like I had that feeling where I was like, I think that's it. I think he gets fired tomorrow. And in that moment while we're walking back, I take a beat and I get my phone out and I take a picture of the stadium so I can remember what that looks like as the crowd's already emptied out and everything and in that moment there's also again for those who don't know there's a group of kids that are just you know on Tom Osborne field just throwing the ball around and they're playing and I make a note of that and I'm taking that down on my notes and kind of getting that little bit of picture and it ends up as like the the end of my game story from that one as like who knows what happens tomorrow but hours and hours after the disappointment hadn't even subsided from the guts of the people traveling home the ball was still thrown football was still played and in the morning, football will again be played in Nebraska because they've got another game to get ready for. Right. And, like, you just – those are the little things, again, circling back to craftsmanship. For, to, for me, because you never really know what's going to happen, notes, keeping an active eye, keeping aware with all of your surroundings and your situation. I'm glad you brought that back because I was just thinking about I was going to do the same thing because I know what craftsmanship means to me and what I do for a living. And I, I touched on all of that, you know, knowing your gear and how to, how to use it. And just like any, any other craftsman with their tools, having a vision, doing things with intention, but you know, what are those things like you were saying, taking notes? Uh, what are those things that, that, that you would consider craftsmanship in your side of the business? I mean, beyond spelling and basic grammar. I'm always fascinated when I read stories because while I think I'm relatively well-versed in writing, I could never do it as fast as you guys do it. And, and there's always the, the, the subtlety of how to craft a story, right? And there's, there's an actual organized thought out organization to a story. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm assuming that you you organize those just the same way I organize my galleries and and photo coverage of things with that same intention. What are what are some of those things? Um, well, most of the time, like I'll have my in my notes, I'll I'll plan it out of like here's my opening, here's my lead, here's my opening scene. Um, if it's a like a daily turnaround story, I'll basically just have I want to lead with this or this quote or this thing that pops out to me. And then move into this and then move into this and then basically have three or four of them and then just kind of 
build out from that frame. You have a basic formula you follow for like like some of the d- daily churning out stuff versus a, a a deeper thoughtful feature piece, which you can kind of go in many directions with. But do you have like a basic framework? Like for instance, when I go cover, let's say basketball game because that's what we've been doing a lot lately, right? I I always I always try to shoot a wide shots, medium shots, tight shots, reaction shots, right? Yeah. And those are all the things that I want in my game coverage, mm-hmm. right? The, the whether it's fans re- reacting or coaches reacting or players, you know, wide shots, medium shots, tight shots. It's kind of an, a a lifelong. It's a formula that's worked for photographers for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody everybody does it yeah do you have those same kind of things when you're when you're just like churning out your daily your daily stuff where do, do you have like the okay, you know i have my opener then i set the scene then i get into some quotes then i do you have a, a formula like if i was to go analyze lad this last month's worth of daily churns am i going to see a pattern uh potentially um i think because uh, i do approach kind of the daily churn versus like a game story right. differently and everything um usually it's like a what's what's going to catch your eye like um it's going to sound weird but um uh, tom Petty and the heartbreakers used to have uh, a saying around the, their camp don't bore us get to the chorus they didn't want to they didn't want to deal with any of the pink floyd progressive rock stuff at the time they wanted to get right into it right and i kind of of course every story is different and you treat the story um as it needs to be treated but especially with this, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Like, what's your immediate game, what's your immediate story from the first day of camp? Matt Rule came out in shorts and, and said, you know, it was a little bit early, but I'm glad to be here and we're glad to be out here. Um, what are the, what's the big news? What happened? Um, even, well, I'm trying to think of like what a good analog is at the moment, but it's like, just say, just say right out front, like, what's the big thing? What, what happened? And because people, if they're going to read the story, they're already going to have the headline. They're already going to have a general Mm -hmm. idea of what happened. Don't tease it out. You can just put it out there on Front Street because then the rest is just the full context and reaction or anything else that came about, especially now, you know, in kind of the daily churn. Whereas, like, uh, for a game story, I'm everybody who is reading the story has already been there. They already watched the game. Nobody's going to find out what happened in a Husker football game by reading a Brady Oldman's game story <laughs> there. So I'm writing, I'm writing those in the moment for someone who wants to be in the moment, wants to feel like they were at the game or wants to know like, what was this like in that immediate sense? And then my follow-up story, the one for the next morning, the ones that you've seen me, had a hotel room at two thirty in the morning writing is those are the ones that like, you're, you know, in your various States of, I need orange juice, X, Y, and Z leaders right. um, that next morning here, how do I feel about this? And I kind of dial it back into this is the prevailing thought. This is what happens next. Where do we go from here? Kind of thing. Whereas the game story itself was, here's what happened. Holy cow. Like, can you believe all of that? And then the next one is what happens next? Where's what's going on? And there's various degrees. You want people to feel it. You want people to feel attached to it. And there's various ways of doing that in terms of like sentence structure, the way that you put people first, the way that it's more active or gets people involved. You have less of like the narrator 
so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that it's moving into like keeping everybody active and everything like that. But those are, those are just kind of general ways that you can do it. I'd be really curious on this topic of craftsmanship to ask Matt rule. What, what is craftsmanship and coaching? We've are like, what does that mean to, to a coach? Our editorial staff is kind of, Brandon, um, Brandon, Aaron, and I kind of talked about this one day of like just floating something similar out there of like of a question to ask Matt when we get the sit down for him for the yearbook is like what's because he talks about all these different aspects and it's like how much does winning games matter like not just like a hey you talk about all this other stuff how about winning you know right like he talks about the day to day stuff the regimens getting things in place the cultures and everything's built. How much of actual game, like winning games, in like depends upon winning games. Yeah, you know I'll, I mean? I'll be curious to see how that, how that, how that, how that gets stated. Because I would, I would bet his idea of craftsmanship is that day to day, the process, right? The detail oriented process. Yeah. Right. The, you know, you'll hear some of the the older Huskers talk about how how detailed like the linemen mm-hmm. like they would talk about how detailed their their practice was like yeah. your first step you missed it by three inches like yeah. you missed it by three inches and it mattered hand placement and things like that you missed it instead of here you had here and right how though that that attention to detail but i'd be curious to i'm, I'm going to be curious to see how he reacts to that to, to those questions and what, what I don't know if you want to ask it with the word craftsmanship, but well, it's but, just a different word for like culture and a different word for the process. I mean, it's all I think it's like it's a, it is it's a different word for the process, but uh, yeah, I just always I I, I glommed onto the word craftsmanship because yeah. I, I used to get in this debate with other photographers, um, some of them more. I'll say more artsy oriented than, than an old journalist is and whether what constituted art, right. And, and they, they were always from the corner of just the mere, the doing of the thing makes it art. If your intention was to create art, it's art. And I just always struggle with that. Like, how can you do things with intention if you don't understand the skills required to execute your vision, right? I, I was always from the camp of you have to have a certain level of craftsmanship before you can intentionally create art. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I stirred a lot of cages with that one because, you know, the, the more artsy people want to say just, that just saying you want to create art or saying that you intended to make art is enough to make it art. And I've all, my pushback was always, but is that, was that the intention in your head? That final product, is that exactly what you intended to create? Because if not, it was just an accident. Now that doesn't mean that it's not great and it's not awesome and it doesn't look great. I'm just saying how how much of an artist are you if you're hoping to happy accident your way to success? Quick baseball analogy. Guy can have a good day. Yeah. Guy could even have a good season. He could have a happy accident of a season. 
guy can't have a happy accident career. Nope. Baseball, you hit, you you succeed in what you wanted, or even not even what you wanted to do. Three times out of ten, you're a Hall of Famer if you do that across the, right. the duration of your career. And and there's there's craftsmanship in all of that too, right? Yeah. How can you handle, you know, how can you handle the outside pitch? Can you hit opposite field when you got a guy on third? Yeah. Intentionally. It's tough. It you can't happy accident that it might happen. Yeah. But your coach is over there giving you the sign saying, I need, you know, he or he's just flat out telling you, we need one on the right side. Mm-hmm. Just slap it anywhere in right? that and then, and in that situation, the pitcher's probably going to pitch you inside, so it's harder for you to hit opposite field. Got to get those hips, got to get those but hands. You, but you got to know your craft. You have to understand what you can do, what your skill set is, what the pitcher's likely to do, how the defense is playing. What our goal is, we need to get this run across. Whether I get make it to first base or not, I've got to get one to the right side of the field. And that's where those, you know, that's why pros are pros. Oh, what's that? Oh my how's that quote go? And I meant I am to, the walrus. No, no, no. I meant to look it up. Don't start barking at <laughs> Um it was something to the effect of amateurs do it. Until they get it right, and pros do it until they can't get it wrong. Okay, that, that's ringing some bells. I think, I and I need to go one. look that up because it's a really, really good quote, and it's one that I need to have in my quill of things that I throw out to people because it's it's true. Yeah. Right. The amateur is going to do it, or the good player, if you want to use the sports analogy, is going to do it till they get it right. Yeah. And the professional is going to do it until they can't get it. Till their body just, they've created such muscle memory in their craft that they can't do it wrong. They might be defeated other ways, but it won't be because their body doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, it's like when you're in basketball, if you're watching the other team shoot free throws and warm-ups, if you see the guy with the wacky wind-up, don't foul him because he's been practicing that wacky wind-up more than anybody true. else. True. You know what? I, that's really true. I had never really thought about it. If he's got time to swish it around his back, he's that confident in what he's getting ready to do. Well, and even if he's got a little hitch, if he's got, you know, does he do with two dribbles and a spin or something like that? Yeah. Like, you, you, you can yeah, repetition. He, he is so bored with the, with the actual shooting that he's had to make practice more interesting by working on his ball spin. Yeah. Or is yeah. around the, who, who is it? One, one of the Creighton guys who goes around his back, dribbles it again. And then just, pfft. it could have been George Jervin for all I know I right remember. now. My, my college basketball following this year was not great. Well, mine wasn't either, but now, and now we're all on college basketball overload. Yeah. Right. Princeton won. That's all I remember. Princeton won. <laughs> So, did you have time to prepare a thought experiment for this? Thought experiment, I guess it kind of runs in line with the terms of craftsmanship. And I'll kind of give, I'll give you a big wind up and lead in with the, the overarching theme is, do you do anything or do you have, when you're picking out a photo that you think tells the story of the game, is there any particular aspect of a photo or aspects of an event or any aspect of the shot itself that gives the perceived feeling one way or another. I'll kind of wind that up with, with and let you think about it while I kind of introduce it in my own kind of way. Um, 
any book fans out there, uh, Blood Meridian, it's in, I want to say, within the first 50 pages of Blood Meridian. Um, it's when the, the kid, I think the kid in the, had already met up with the judge, and they're, they're climbing the hill, and they're, they're, you know, this huge mesa that they're trying to climb and everything like that. And it's run-on sentence after run-on sentence after run-on sentence. And it's basically the duration of an entire page where it's just one block paragraph. And by the end of it, physically, like you're like, when is this going to end? And your eyes are getting tired because when you see a period, your initial reaction is to stop. But you don't see a period and you just keep going. And by that time, physically, like as you're reading it, you're getting tired while the book is moving along and they're trying to climb up the mesa. And then they get to the end and the period, they're at the top, they look, and then it's the the tribe that they've been going after right there. And then the very next sentence or the very next paragraph is just like five words. And then the action starts. It gives you that pause and then, okay. And then everything starts in. Okay. I get it. I, I'll, I know how I'm going to answer this question. Cause what I heard was, was a writer intentionally breaking the rules of grammar to create a feeling of anxiety in the reader. Yeah. Right. I have this discussion with other photographers, especially sports photographers, seem to be Nazis about it all the time. And that's the concept of horizon lines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whether the photo is crooked or tilted or things like that. And I will sometimes either intentionally shoot it or intentionally crook one. Or if it's a little bit crooked and I go, huh, I kind of like that, I might go a little bit further. With the... And the argument a lot of other photographers will make is that it makes the viewer uneasy mm-hmm. and i come back with exactly yeah. how do you think that athlete feels right if you've ever played then you know how anxiety filled and fast and it, it can be overwhelming with all the sensory input and it's an uneasy feeling especially if it was a game of uneasy feelings. So I don't mind intentionally breaking that rule of the horizon, you know, of a crooked horizon line or a crooked angle or something that intentionally makes the viewer of the image uncomfortable. If it makes you uncomfortable and it's still a good image, I consider that a win. Because now you know a little, maybe just a little fraction of what it was like for those athletes. You know, sometimes I do, you'll see me do blurred action stuff that just is just kind of chaotic. And while it can be, if it's executed right and it does, and and fortune shines on, on the tenth of a second you had the shutter open, it can be rather artsy and, and painterly like. But it can also be very chaotic and unsettling to look at. And I like that because, you know, it's all about high level athletics is all about managing that unease and executing anyways. And so I, I, I do those things with intention, just like the writer you were describing that broke all the grammar rules. Yeah. To create anxiety in the reader. So yeah, I I intentionally do things like that from time to time too. And you could do that different like before, I mean I've done that before. I've done the like just listing just short short sentences, boom boom to form like a long paragraph where like you hit a you hit the end and then you got to start again and again and again and again and you're like when is this ever going to end kind of thing. Like right. that's another way to like build that 
suspense or build like that overwhelming feeling of like holy cow you know kind of thing whenever you need it like I think it might have been the Wisconsin game or something last year where like oh they just kept handing the ball off and Nebraska couldn't stop it couldn't stop it couldn't right. stop it and all and all you've got to do is just say ran this way you ran for three yards three yards eight yards four yards three yards see it all play out and then on the, on the screen or on a page yeah and then you see that and it's like holy cow like when's this gonna stop and then eventually you know it stops with them in the end zone just little things like that that you can do to like again it doesn't substance wise like there's not you're not doing anything special you're just listing out the plays of what happened but in the totality of the story and as like you perceive it reading it right it's like it, it achieves everything that you want to achieve. and just to wrap this back up real quick or circle it back around before we wrap it up that craft and the other thing i said in a conversation with some people was craftsmanship is knowing when and how to break the rules yeah right because you can't you can't break the rules unless you know the rules and really understand them then you can break them with intention to do things so did you have anything else you wanted to add otherwise we'll go ahead and wrap this one up because i thought we covered a lot of stuff today yeah um i think that's it I want, one thing I will remind people if they are still listening is it's, it's, it takes time um, doing some reporting and like talking with some professors on like we're doing kind of marketing stuff or I'm doing some background reporting for stories that involve marketing. And one of the things that you're finding out now with people who are so involved with social media and things is like they don't understand the work that it takes, like the backroom work, the prep work, everything that goes into it. They just think, well, I recorded this video. I'm going to upload it boom bing bang boom like i'm an influencer now they don't see the the various stages of influence and by a byproduct some of that like grammar and editing and things go right out the window because when you're wanting content out there it's as fast as possible type it up and you send it out quality control matters quality control is huge especially in this what have you done for me in the last 30 seconds day and age exactly (laughs) so all right we'll go ahead and wrap it up for this episode i'm eric this I'm, is Brady. Yeah. You can say it. Say your name. I'm Brady. And Brady's here. This was the eye test. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe so that you know when the next one comes out. And we'll see you next time. A Heard at Sports Network production.